Hello, and welcome to The Conversation with me, Amanda Decadene. This series of The Conversation is brought to you by VS Voices, another fantastic podcast I host, which highlights trailblazing women from around the world to celebrate the multifaceted nature of the female experience. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On this week's episode of The Conversation, I'm speaking to author and filmmaker Tiffany Shalane about the relationship between humans and technology and some solutions to navigate screen time. I'm so pleased to be talking to you now. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you at any point, but to have an excuse to talk to you because I, like so many homes around the world, have been struggling with how much time I'm spending online, my kids Mm -hmm. are spending online, and what that is doing to us individually and as a community, the fact that pretty much everything we do, whether we're exercising, there's an app, we're reading the news, there's an app, you're eating your food, there's an app to like photograph and document and measure and weigh and share and anything new that comes out in the world now that doesn't have a digital component basically is not going to succeed as a business. So every single thing that comes out in the world has a digital component. The digital life before the pandemic was getting to the point where I was feeling like, wow, we're losing connection with ourselves, with our environment, with our communities. And then the pandemic hit and there was absolutely no way that I could get anyone in my home to do so many of the things that I could get them to do before because they'd say, we can't see our friends. We can't do anything. We can't go anywhere. What are we supposed to do? You can only get them to walk the dog, you know, once a day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's so many great ideas of things that I would love to do that I want to do and that my husband and I have actually made sure that we unplug and we spend time together every weekend without the phones. And so I was so excited to talk to you because I know you have been talking about the relationship between human beings and technology for so many years, well before anyone else was talking about this. You founded the Webby Awards. You made Connected, your film in 2012. That's how we first met, right? Yes. I was thinking about that. We There was like a screening in LA and we met for my film Connected. Yes. Yeah. And you, this has been time. a subject matter that you have been my well ahead of the world and talking about. And so I just was like, okay, I'm struggling with this so much. So many other people are so many parents that I know are reaching out to me. Like, what are you doing about your kids and screen time and your whole family? And everyone is feeling disconnected. And so I was like, I have to talk to Tiffany because I know that you are so knowledgeable and so passionate about this subject matter and your book 24 six, which is a genius title. I would expect nothing less from you. It's brilliant. And I wanted just to talk to you to see what your experience has been personally. And also eventually at some point in this conversation for recommendations for people, because there's a lot of great ideas, but how do you do stuff in practical terms? Yes. Well, first of all, it's so great to see you and to be talking to you again. And yeah, my whole career from a very young age, I had the Apple IIe before the Mac. I had the Mac. I was so excited about the potential of computers connecting us all over the world before the web. And then I founded the Webby Awards when the web started. And I was like deeply immersed. My husband's a professor of robotics. We're super into 
both what does technology amplify and what does it amputate? Because while we're... Ooh, what does it amplify and what does it amputate? Which is a Marshall McLuhan idea who's an incredible media theorist around technology. Like you read his work even before the web and you're like, he's writing about today. But I think that's the big question for humanity as we move forward. What does it amplify? What does it amputate? And Ken and I, both of our work has both celebrated and critiqued technology our whole career. It's like our longest running conversation (laughs) between the two of us because he makes robots and we're always kind of experimenting early. And I think we got addicted early too. It was 11 years ago. I had this very dramatic year in my life, which I chronicled in my film Connected. And Connected is a feature documentary that both explores the history of technology and humanity and me losing my biggest connection, which was my father and my daughter being born within days of each other. And um, it was a real wake up call for me that I did not like how distracted I was feeling. This was 12 years ago before the word digital detox was even expressed and no one was really talking about it, but I knew I did not like the way I felt. I felt distracted. I felt like I wasn't present. I felt like I couldn't enjoy the things I normally enjoyed without looking at my phone. So my husband and I started, so we had a six-year-old and we had a newborn and we started turning off all screens from Friday night to Saturday night for what we called our technology Shabbats. I should say that I am Jewish, but I am not religious. I love, love being Jewish for the comedy, the food, the intellectual wrestling, but I, I don't believe in God. And I, I think that's important because most people I knew that did Shabbat and certainly a full day of rest were Orthodox Jews. I always felt like too bad of a Jew to be able to do that. So, and for those of you that don't know Shabbat, the concept is that it's the fourth commandment, thou shall have a day of rest. And it's even above on the commandments, honor thy mother and father. It's above, do not commit murder. If you look at the 10 commandments from an intellectual place, those are the 10 ways to live a good life. Most Jews in America, if they do Shabbat, they'll light the candles, they'll have challah, they'll have a nice dinner once a month or so. But the full Shabbat is a full day of rest. And what's behind that? What is the thinking behind a full day of rest? Okay, that's a great question. There's a lot of different ways you could answer that. But I think the way I will answer that is that to contribute best to yourself, your family and society, you must have a day of rest, appreciation, presence, inward reflection, connecting with your family. If you're not in a family, connecting to yourself in order to... to do all the things you want to do in the world. That's the way I look at it, that it's, I think, the most brilliant idea. I mean, brilliant. it's and, so profound. Yeah. It, it's in actually every culture. It's just now only done by super religious and observant people. And for me, what was so exciting as like a sexual, uh, sexual, secular, sexual and secular <laughs> Jew <laughs> to think about you can as be, a sexual Jew, a- um, I thought... <laughs> Actually, wait, something very funny is that Tiffany, is a sexual Jew. Tiffany <laughs> Shalane, the sexual Jew. <laughs> but the funny thing is it's known to be really good to have sex on Shabbat. So Why? Because you're supposed to do things that are nurturing. So right. it's like a double right. myth. Seeing in Catholicism, sex is bad, but in Judaism, like not only is sex good, but they want you to have sex on Shabbat because it's your day of presence. And so the whole concept is there's one day of joy and learning and presence with your family. And what I've now learned is because I've done a lot of research. I was so fascinated by the concept. I can't stop thinking about you being a sexual Jew now. I'm a sexual Jew. That is a, it's so funny because I've always felt like the word secular 
sounds so cold and I don't like using it for myself, even though I would describe myself that way. But I think a sexual Jew is much better (laughs) way to describe. It's much warmer. I'm really into this. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so we were doing it purely like I wasn't feeling good. My husband was also feeling very distracted. And we thought, let's just try this experiment. And we were part of this group called Reboot that was doing a national day of unplugging. So we around with like 60 people decided to turn off all screens. And literally, it was exactly what I needed. It was like this oasis of calm I hadn't felt in so long and presence and all these things. And so then we did it the next week, the next week, the next week. And most people we did it with for that national day of unplugging just did it that one time for the year. We never stopped doing it. And my the benefits got better. I felt more creative on my, all my best ideas always come on Saturdays. I laughed more on Saturdays. I slept better. I felt more, I felt like the best mom that day, the best wife. I felt like the best person to myself. And so the longer we did it, the more addicted everyone became. So now if you imagine we started this 11 years ago, then like about five years ago, it was just out of control. You couldn't walk anywhere in New York without everyone staring at their phones. And you went to dinner, everyone pulled their phones out. It was like a yawn. One person would pull it out, everyone pull it out, and everyone would disengage. With it's like a weird out. permission. It's like, oh, you're cool with phones at the table? Great. And then everyone gets yeah, theirs out. It. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening to society? So we started doing this and then eventually the benefits just, you know, only just doubled and amplified in my life. And I think because I'm a woman of tech, I'm not anti-tech, I'm just anti-tech 24-7 and carving out this whole day every week with my family. And really it's family day. I mean, it was interesting what you were saying is that it's the day. It's fam- When I was growing up, Sunday was family day because all Me the stores too. used to be closed, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But we don't have that anymore. So it's a day we don't schedule a lot. We're with each other. You know, Friday night, we always have people over for dinner. And if our kids want to be, we'll invite our kids' friends families. How old are your kids now? I have an almost 18 year old and almost 12 year old. Oh my gosh. This is, okay. So Atlanta is 28 and my twins are 14. That's what I remember. Your twins were around in my soup. Yes. So they're 14 and that's the tricky part, right? Is the teens who have really no experience of socializing and engagement with their friends without screens. They've Mm -hmm. come of age at a time where that's the mode of communication. They don't text. They do Snapchat photos with like, right, you know, with like text on top of it. Like that's how they're communicating. I mean, my kids are, they're not like Waldorf kids. They love the technology, but I think what it has taught them to have a whole day every week without it is that they can live without it, that they can have a conversation around a dinner table without it. You know, having two daughters, I mean, we have one table and I do like a guided conversation where everybody's has the equal airtime because I was the youngest in a very talkative family and I was always fighting for airtime. So at our dinner table, everybody gets the same amount of time and we pick a topic. And but I think it's Wait, you pick a topic we, at dinner. Well, what we do, I'm actually designing my own version, but I use conversation cards. So if you think about Shabbat, it's really like having Thanksgiving meal every week because everyone has to say one thing they're grateful for. And Shabbat's all about the week frame of time. And then I have cards that have been pl- Our youngest daughter has put them at each card and she leads this discussion again, Beautiful. because I was the youngest child. And she says, everyone say one thing you're grateful for and how this word on this card pertains to your week. And the words are everything from something that made you laugh, the benefit of the doubt, humility, 
it just like it can be concepts or words and you have to think about your week and pretend so it's the deepest conversation of the week it is the funniest the most revealing i mean because our weekly dinners it's like we do a highlight and low light but they're like a half an hour and you know whatever but the but the, the fact that your kids participate and they're on board with it i mean i don't know if i could get my kids to do that my kids will sit at a table if i can get both of them to sit do you have no screens at the table or are oh they yeah at the table? no screens at the table that's a hard rule you know i mean look i'm interested in conversation that's right you're the <laughs> i really believe in the power of conversation and shared experiences and the power of storytelling and intergenerational storytelling and obviously right. a family is a perfect scenario to yeah. check those boxes However, I have found it very challenging to get them both to sit at the table. They want to eat at different times. They're on different kind of schedules. One of their sleeps is messed up. So she's eating much later. One doesn't like to eat breakfast. Syncing everybody up is... Oh, I agree. And it actually, the six days of the week, we only have one meal together during the week. And it's dinner. Because every we're all day. eating at a different time, every lunch at a different time. That's why I'm saying like, the special Friday night dinner with sometimes their friends' families, which is a great way to get to know who your kids are hanging out with. And it's special. We set the table. We make all the foods we resist from. It's glue. I make fresh bread. We have ice cream. We have whatever everybody wants. It's like a decadent, gorgeous meal. Like, I think because it's special, we set, you know, flowers, you know, we do the whole thing. And that that's actually a really beautiful idea of the concept of like Shabbat dinner, because basically parenting is all about modeling behavior. So I will admit to you something that was happening to me because we used to have no screens in the bedroom and we're a two-story house. So there's kind of no screens upstairs. And then of course, with the pandemic, that went to shit. I mean, their bedrooms became their classrooms. We on our date nights used to go to the movies. Now we put a TV in our bedroom. Suddenly screens were like multiplying upstairs. And there was a point like three months ago where it got so slippery and the bedtimes and the screen. And I was like, and here I've made films on how kids use never have screens in the bedroom. Teens are known to check their phone like three times in the middle yeah. of the night. Same with adults. At a certain point, Ken and I were like, whoa, we're getting back with the program here. All the screens out of the bedroom at nine. So we got them at out nine. of the bedroom. Nine. Okay. What was their response to that? I mean, I think you just need to be parents and be like, you know what? We pay the bills. You live in our house. Right. This is the rule of the house. But here, I haven't even gotten to the part. So, and sure enough, they were sleeping better. Even if they fought it at first, they felt better. There was like a more fun nighttime ritual because we'd be, it just was like not everyone wasn't in their own little worlds, which you never want all the time. I mean, some of the time that's okay. So then my youngest daughter, I was in my bedroom and I always, I take a bath and I read. And, but because I was managing the situation, I still had my phone in my room. And as we know, when you're reading with a phone next to you, you're not reading. You read a page, there's something in the book that makes you think of the phone and you're on the phone and then you go back to the book. Yes. And it's like this distracted situation. So my younger daughter was like, mom, why do you have the phone in the bedroom? Yeah. Like, oh my God, you're absolutely right. My phone's going down with yours. So now at nine, I'm like, hey, and I even asked her to do it. Honey, will you put all of our screens? Here's my phone. We're all doing this together. You know, there's that expression where you can tell your kids something 3,000 times, but they're just watching what you do. Yeah, we are the Wi-Fi, no pun intended, in our home. And what we do as parents is what gives the signal to them of what they can and they cannot do. And I think a lot of the issues with screens reflect back to parents 
and bring up the question of, as parents, how reliant am I on my phone? Can I put my phone down? Am I on my phone at night? Am I able to have a conversation without thinking, oh, I turn all my notifications off. Yeah. Everything's off. I don't have texts that come up on the screen. Every single notification is off. My ringer is off 100% of the time. You know, they say that you check it like 80 times a day anyways. You don't need it to also interrupt what you're doing. I don't want it. When I'm ready, I will check it. So, and if you need to get hold of me, you know, the truth is like, I've been at home for a year anyway, but the point is, is that, that those are things that I do and my family gets frustrated. They're like, oh, we can never get hold of you. I'm like, listen, I will set it to a certain ring so that if it's you and you really need me, it will alert me, but otherwise everything's off. And having to check my own reliance on screens And I remember, like, I didn't grow up with the internet, right, in the same way. And so I remember feeling so lonely when I would just spend hours and hours by myself in my bedroom, Mm -hmm. like, just not being able to see friends, feeling so lonely, either because I wasn't invited, I wasn't included, or I, for whatever reason, I had to be in my home. And I was so isolated and so lonely and learning to manage that feeling of discomfort and Mm. loneliness and isolation because I couldn't just pick up my phone and distract myself from that uncomfortable feeling. Even Mm. though it was a hard feeling to learn to deal with, it also taught me to deal with uncomfortable feelings. Standing in line at a coffee shop, waiting for your coffee when there's people in front of you, behind you, and everyone's just kind of standing there that's where I've met some really interesting people. That's where I've had great conversations. That's where I've learned to manage my feeling of self-consciousness or like, oh God, why did I wear this thing? I feel so awkward in it. Or like, I didn't clean my teeth or like managing all those discomfort feelings, which is a huge part of life. When you bring a phone into it and you bring a screen into it, you don't have to manage those uncomfortable feelings in the same way. There is no muscle memory that's being built for dealing with those awkward situations because you just pick up the phone. Bye-bye loneliness, bye-bye awkwardness, and bye-bye spontaneous moment for conversation. Yeah, I think that's right on. The uncomfortableness, even boredom, which there's been so much research, and I'm super interested in this topic too, of just how boredom leads to creativity because you – you have to just sit with yourself. And this new quote I heard from Rumi, who's one of my favorite poets anyways, oh, and I too. never heard this quote, is, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but something to the effect of like, always remember to make appointments to check in with yourself. Mm. And I think that with the screens, we've created this environment where you never have to really check in with yourself because you're reacting, you're responding, you're stressing out, you're connecting, you're like always in response to everything but yourself. And I really feel like on my Saturdays, so Friday's very social, but Saturdays are the day that I reflect and I think about things. I do some writing on that day. I connect with my family. We don't make a lot of plans. It's like we go in nature. We cook, we nap, we read, we whatever, we do whatever they want to do too. And that's a key part of getting your kids on board. It's like, what do you want to do? And it just can't involve screens. And I even have a whole section at the back of my book, great things to do without screens by age. And I kind of was joking when I first put it in there, but so many people have referenced it. I mean, people are like, what can we do? I'm like, okay, let me do, 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 time machine. There was lots of things that brought us joys that a screen was not in sight. And so Saturday is a very analog pleasure day. And I, I love it. And actually the pandemic 
has brought a lot of analog pleasures into my life when, that I want to make sure don't go away when we the pandemic ends because I never used to take hour baths every night. I never used to read for an hour and a half to two hours every night. I never took hour and a half walks with my dog every day. I mean, like these have been coping mechanisms, but they have brought so much pleasure to my life. And I think also as I've gotten older, I just turned 50 this year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I've always looked forward to turning 50. Have half you? a century. I have because my parents always, they started their second careers at 50. They got happier at 50. They really kind of came into themselves. But what I was going to say is that as I've gotten older, whenever I've brought a new ritual into my life, my life has gotten better. And, you know, when I was younger, I was all about like living on the edge and traveling all over the world. And where am I going to end up tomorrow? And who knows where I'll be there? But I find that rituals are very beautiful and comforting and keep me grounded so that I can be really radical. There's this great Flaubert quote that like, like something about rituals and routines will make you radical in your work that by having these grounding rituals, they free you up creatively and they free up your brain to go in unusual places. I too was very unstructured and I grew up hosting live TV all over the world, which was the most unstructured, spontaneous job I could have. And I did that from age 15. And so I was like, oh, got to get on a plane and go to wherever and interview somebody live from the middle of a field somewhere or whatever (laughs) crazy thing I was doing. And it was very hard to create structure, which is what my kids needed. When I had one baby, I took that baby all over the world with me and she's had a very hard time with structure because she didn't really get it. The only consistent thing was me growing up for her, but with my twins and my husband is insanely structured. He is Mm -hmm. the most routine based person I've ever met. And so I really pushed against that, but he was like, no, no, these twins, in order for us to like not lose our minds, we need to have routine and consistency and structure. And I agree with that quote that, when you create that system that anchors you, it gives you the security and the strength to go off the path because That's you're right. coming back to something that is stable and consistent that you can rely on. And it's almost like you internalize that. And that's growing up and being able to internalize a structure and a system inside yourself. It allows mm-hmm. you to be more adventurous in not only your thinking, your creativity, but also your choices, because you can come back to structure within yourself. Love the way you frame that. Yeah. And my older daughter is just going to college um, soon. I'm, that's like a premise. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation, but she's going to do tech Shabbat in college. I mean, she says it's protected her from high school burnout. I mean, because we don't let them do homework on Saturdays. So it's like, you know, you're not doing that. You're just doing things that bring you joy and rest. And But do they hang out with you or do they do this with their friends? So Friday night, we will often have their friends over for our dinner. But Saturday is, is family day. I mean, again, this is about parents kind of saying, okay, as a fa- family, this is what we value. But we believe as a family that one day a week is important to check in and like come together. And, you know, this is all about ways to regulate things in your life so you will lead a good life. But the truth is that it keeps changing like what everyone's needs are. But the one thing that doesn't change is this one day. I think it's just like, listen, our job as parents is to kind of guide them and help with regulation until they're 18. Then they're, you know, going to college, whatever. But hopefully you're instilling enough as parents, because you still are parents until 18, 
And I think just parents have like thrown up their hands. Like, I don't understand this. I've given up. I'm losing this battle, but take it back. Like go, you know, we have a family meeting. Say, I love you guys. I, I love you so much. And we all love each other. And there's just certain things as parents that we need to instate here to keep that structure one day a week or whatever your family decides. And in my book, I, I talk about like for my family and for 3000 years, the concept of one day a week off is a profound concept. And what's been exciting is so many people have read it now, every different background. And it's like yoga and meditation. Here were these very ancient ideas from these cultures. And then they were brought to the West, popularized. And people now understand yoga and meditation make your life better. This is an ancient idea of take one day off. And what does one day off in our modern society mean? Like, I feel like that's what happens every week for me. Is I do a lot of journaling on Saturday morning. And I think about what really inspired me, what made me laugh, and what drained me, what like energy was draining or activity was draining. If you love the conversation, then I wanted to tell you about another podcast I host called VS Voices. The VS Voices podcast provides a platform for women to speak their diverse truths, share personal stories, and advance discussions of issues that are important to them. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You know, here's the biggest thing I'll tell you is the difference in my life since I started doing Tech Shabbat is that the online world is designed through thousands of scientists and programmers and designed to keep you glued to the screen. Hooked. Hooked. So you are designed to want that next email, want that new stressful news headline, want that next notification, want the shoes that keep popping up in the advertisement, want, 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 want. It's like it wakes up the beast inside of you, your animal instincts, and you are in a constant state of wanting more. And here's the thing. You will never get to the end because it's designed that way. Now, I will tell you every Friday night, I race towards turning off my screens. When I turn them off, I immediately go from a sense of wanting what I don't have or where I'm not or wanting more of something I don't know. And it switches from want to appreciation of what I have right in front of me. It's so immediate. Suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh, my home, my animals, my family, the food. I don't want to be anywhere but right here. And then that whole day I'm just in this state of appreciation and I don't want anything. Well, you're being present. But then I'm also, it has a double effect by going off a whole day every week is that Saturday night, you know, I'm like, I'm psyched to see what happened in the world. Like I'm both psyched to go off it and I appreciate even the internet when I go back on. But I do a lot of films on neuroscience and you've seen my work. It's a lot of neuroscience. And my father was a brain surgeon, blah, 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 blah. super interested in my mom's a psychologist. I'm, that's what I'm most interested in is both the kind of biology and psychology of why we do what we do. And the term I heard yesterday is hedonic adaptation. And it comes from hedonism. Hedonism, yeah. Hedonic adaptation that your brain, you acclimate to that need and desire, which is like food, drugs, social media, binging a show. Like you're setting setting the bar too high. Well, let's talk about this because we mentioned screen addiction and you were talking about being present and doing the screen Shabbat. And what that brought to mind was how a lot of people use screens, social media, whatever screen we're talking about here, in order to escape their life and make their life manageable because 
Their life is, ex- is challenging in whatever different ways it is. There's no question the shift in brain chemistry that occurs. You're talking about the dopamine. When we look at depression, and you obviously can speak to this way more than I can, but the lack of dopamine in a person's brain who's suffering from depression, the high that comes from what we're talking about with the screens, the validation, the engagement, it does increase your dopamine. So of course people are feeling better if they're unhappy in themselves and their lives, whether it's food, sex, shopping, gambling, porn, internet, (laughs) all the things that people go to in order to escape and feel better. And there is no question Mm -hmm. that I know that the DSM has a diagnosis now for screen addiction. I know that there are multiple, not enough, by the way, and I've looked into this for various reasons. There are a couple of treatment centers that focus on screen addiction, internet addiction. The majority of them are connected to people who have porn addiction, which I found interesting because not everyone that has a screen addiction has an addiction to porn. Gaming. Gamers might spend three or four days straight gaming, not showering, not eating, drinking yeah. Diet Coke and whatever the hell they're doing to stay awake. You know, there. this is a very real addiction and it's becoming more and more and more. And yet there is very little support in place for people who may think they have an addiction to screens. But the neurology of it is exactly what you're saying, which is resetting the bar. Your neuropathways are getting, especially for kids. And this is the piece that I think about. The developing brain. The developing brain that is now used to having these dopamine hits from gaming, from likes, the various ways that validation is occurring, right? What is that doing? That's setting their brains up. They're developing brains up to seek dopamine hits in order just not even for the high, just to feel normal. And so what are those behaviors that they are going to seek in addition to the screens in order to have that dopamine high? In my limited perspective, it is setting people up for a lifetime of pleasure-seeking, adrenaline-seeking behaviors. Okay, you hit on so many things that I'm glad you hit on. So Harvard is just starting a new digital wellness lab that I've been on the board of for years. Dr. Michael Rich heads it up. He's brilliant. It's all about what we're talking about. It's got all the tech companies who know this is a problem and are going to help try to find solutions for it. Thank God. It's a wonderful board and it's a wonderful group. And we all share the thoughts that you have and want to create research and access to the public to help people. The other thing that I was going to say is that I guess when you were talking about that people pick up the phone or the screen, whatever, to escape. And that's real. I mean, there's a good hour and a half a day where I'm just like, I need to zone out. Yeah. And just being a working mom, like, I'm sure you're like me, I'm running from the vet to the this to the that to the trying to manage the this and the that and all, all of, that. of that while we're having a career. So the problem with always having such an easy access to be distracted, to escape, to be entertained is first of all, for especially for kids, you need to learn how to deal with those feelings. Exactly what you said when you were a lonely teen, which I was too. And you learn how to be uncomfortable and how to work beyond it, which of course, when the greatest growth happens is when you're uncomfortable. But secondly, I worry that people think that all the power is in this phone. 
And I've asked people, why are you afraid? Because people go, oh my God, I read your book. I've got, I'm, I'm too afraid to do it. And I really sit with them I'm like, what are you afraid of? And what happens when you turn off the phone and you have to deal with not being able to escape is you find your own power. That's why every great wisdom practice, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, everything says, and again, I'm not even a religious person, but I'm going to tell you what I love is the idea that you have to, as Rumi says, make appointments to check in with yourself. And what it's, you and, about this? and sorry, I could cut you off there, but essentially what we're talking about, it is setting up a mindset that the power is outside of you, that you are always going to people, places and things in order to fill yourself. That is the big lie. The lie is that those things outside of ourselves will fix you and help you to feel better. That is not the truth. The truth is in you, you You are the one. And if you have the courage to carve out time as an individual, as a parent and make your kids do it, they're going to build these muscles and resources that will help them th- throughout the rest of their lives. And if any second they're uncomfortable, pull out that phone. That muscle gets strengthened in their brain. Uncomfortable? Escape. 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 And they won't have the tools to We're actually doing them a disservice. Life. We're doing them a disservice by not allowing our kids to fail, to feel uncomfortable, to struggle, to feel overwhelmed. It's like the overparenting as well, you know, which I'm also kind of obsessed with because in America, it's quite different to Europe in the way that parenting is approached. And it comes from a loving place. People don't want their kids to suffer, but there is something really valuable about suffering. There's something really valuable about overcoming adversity, about surviving loneliness, dealing with feeling shame and embarrassment and humiliation. If we're not allowing our kids to have these experiences, that literally the neuropathways are not developing to teach them how to do this. They're going to get out in the world and be a 40-year-old man or, you know, individual and not know how to handle this stuff. And the wreckage and the chaos that comes from escaping uncomfortable feelings can be catastrophic. I've seen it. It's the new drug. New drug with no age limit on it, with no warnings on it. I think there should be a warning on I think there should be a warning on devices that let people know what the possible impact is. Mental yeah, health challenges. That's the insidious part is that a certain amount is okay and good. But what you need to become sensitive to and what you need to teach your kids to is, or not even teach them, but limit it before they're Role able model. to know it, is when does it turn? And like the group texts, when do they turn bad or... You know, when does compare and despair make you feel so bad? How do you identify what gives you energy or what takes away energy? And I, like I said, and at the beginning of our conversation, what amplifies, what amputates? That is the single greatest question of our age. And you need to build the tools and your kids need to build the tools to distinguish between the two. And that's our role. And the other thing that I'll say is that we are adaptable human beings, and I think it's important to learn how to struggle through something. I completely agree with you. We have done something in our home, which is at 12 o'clock, the Wi-Fi gets unplugged. You cannot do any workarounds, and the kids' SIM cards, whilst they're at home, are out. They don't need a SIM card. If they go out in the world and they go whatever. Wait, this is brilliant. Wait a second. So at midnight. At midnight, yeah. I have my own Wi-Fi 
in the garage so that I can do my work if I need to early in the morning or late at night. But pretty much the Wi-Fi is gone midnight until 9 a.m. Did they freak out when you started that? Yes, it was quite extreme, the response. And I'm going to tell you that the response was at times in the beginning so extreme that it scared me. And I thought we're doing the right thing. Not a day too soon. But I will tell you, it, you know, really got me thinking about screen addiction and what was happening to my kids' brains. And that's why I'm also so interested in this subject matter, because I know that every other home around the world with kids is also asking so many of these questions. Okay, so if you don't have your kids buy-in, right, then you have to be able to tolerate a possibly explosive behavior. I've been verbally assaulted. I've had things thrown at me. There's been a lot of freakouts around not having the internet. So you have to be able to tolerate that. And at times I can't tolerate it. And I just think the internet has become a babysitter for people. So many people are stressed and overwhelmed and anxious. And the parents have their own issues and they can't tolerate and or manage, you know, kids that are acting out. The internet is a great place to park your kids when you don't want to deal with them or you feel overwhelmed and you can't. But as I say to my kids, I would not drop you in the middle of Times Square by yourself with all those people with I have no idea what's going on and be like, bye, guys. Hope you do okay out here by yourselves. Dropping your kid in the internet and leaving them unmonitored at a certain age without any support, any guidance, any dialogue is close to dumping them in Times Square by themselves. And here's the other thing I want to talk about. The average age of Googling free porn is nine years old. So what I've been saying to friends of mine who have younger kids, I'm like, listen, if you're leaving your kid alone with an iPad, your kid is eight years old. I really hope you're having a conversation with them about porn. And parents think I'm extreme. If you don't talk to your kid about porn, the internet will, and it's going to start teaching your kid that this is what sex is. You don't want that. And the way I describe it is I'm like the same way as there's action movies and rom-coms and horror movies, there's porn. It's pretend sex. It is Mm. not real sex. It is Mm. actors who are paid in order to reenact generally a guy's idea of what kind of sex is interesting to them. And it's Mm. not real. It's make-believe. I love the way you describe that. I was just having this conversation with my friend, Tanya, who wrote this amazing book called Assume Nothing. Assume Nothing? Yeah, but it's about intimate violence. And her book just came out. Which is very common. And intimate violence being they start slapping, they're hitting, they're spitting their whatever. And where do they learn that? Well, so much of that is from a young age, if they're watching porn. And like you said, it's all from the man's fantasy perspective. It's not what women want, or it's not what a lot of women want. And that's what porn is teaching the men. And so if we're worried about sexual assault and sexual violence, we're feeding it and we're creating it. And you're right. You absolutely need to have a conversation about it. And it's real and it's happening And it is the equivalent of just dropping them off. I mean, I tried to put some filters on and I put too many and then she couldn't get to anything. And then we took them off and now I tried to get back. But listen, both of us grew up half of our lives offline and half online. And we actually do need to deal with it. And it's not fun and it's messy and it's confusing. And actually, I was going to ask you, is your husband, are you guys on the same page? A lot of women will read my book and go, 
oh my God, I want to do this, but my husband, I could never get. And I'm like, well, hand him the book because there's a lot of science and research in there. And some men will only respond to that. Some men will respond. My husband is not, weirdly, my husband is, you know, eight years younger than me. He grew up on the internet. He's not on social media. He doesn't even know how to post. He does not like social media. He is not online. He's not into it. But his answer to pretty much everything, any issue that's going on in the home is, you know what I think? And I'm like, yeah, turn the internet off. He's like, yep. He is convinced that a lot of the issues that we deal with within our relationship and making time for each other and being present, the kids and the lack of exercise or the over or under the imbalances, right? He's like, turn the internet off. If there's no internet, they're going to have to think of something else to do. And his concept is, again, like you said, boredom inspires creativity. When you're so goddamn bored, you just start connecting dots in a way that you don't usually do because you're so bored and you come up with stuff. And he maintains that. And so his answer to pretty much everything is unplug the internet. You know, uh, what is actually happening in your brain is that it's called the default mode network. And when you're in the shower or taking a walk or doing the dishes, your mind is like, and you have a dog too. So it's like your mind is off leash. Like, you know how happy your dog is when it's off? Like, that's my happiest thing is I'm clipping her. (laughs) Yes. When you're spacing out or doing something without a screen and you're keeping your body doing kind of slight things, your brain goes off leash. And it starts connecting all these unusual things. And that's where creativity comes from. Like when I get into the shower, I used to turn on the NPR news. And now I'm like, don't turn on the news. Don't turn on a podcast. Just take a shower because I'm letting my brain get sudsy and off leash and creative and juicy. Like you have to carve out time every day for your brain to be creative. And I really think about that. They say two hours a day to create new neurons. It's all about the new pathways. But here's something I think you'll find really interesting. So the default mode network is often called the me network also, which is about the me the me network like you, because you're time traveling in your own world. You're thinking of a past conversation you had, a future project you want to do. You're relating everything to the past, present, and future in relation to yourself. Now, I'm super interested in the experiments with like psilocybin and ketamine for depressed people. When you take something like psilocybin, it actually turns off the me network and it Which allows you to- Which is your that. ego self. Your ego. It turns off your ego and suddenly you reconnect with that larger sense of oneness, which is why so dramatically people snap out of depression because they get out of that me network. So the me network can be a super creative network. And if you're in a bad loop, you know, that's where depression or... Well, it's also can be narcissistic. And as I told you, I have the narcissist Bible that I'm looking at right now, because I've also been reading so much about the difference between narcissist and healthy ego, right? So, which we need ego for building healthy patterns and self-esteem too. However, I think, and this is something that I want to also talk to you about, kids and people... When you're only a reflection of self and the only response you're having that validates your existence is coming from a screen, social media, liking, commenting, responding, engaging, 
it's a form of narcissism and especially with the selfies. And when you're posting images of yourself and videos of yourself and it's all about you, what you're doing, saying, feeling, eating, sharing, blah, 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 blah. It's so me centered, right? But the only thing that's coming back at you to validate your existence is the response from the screen. It is a narcissistic loop. Again, it's like putting all the power outside of yourself. Exactly. That was on my bake last week. Her name is Amy Crouch, and she wrote a book called Tech Wise Teen, and she turns off screens one day a week from a Christian perspective. I said to her, I'm on social media. I just try to be really intentional with it, and I really think about what I post. I really try to post things to inspire and delight and bring joy to other people and not to ever make them feel bad, and I really think about that. And what she said is the problem with social media is that if you take that idea to the end that you post something and you're looking for the likes to validate your life, yourself, you're looking externally to get the power once again. And you have to develop a sense of self-worth from yourself. You can't have it be an external thing, especially when algorithms are deciding who sees your post. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. That's what I'm saying. It's setting people up to constantly look outside of themselves to mirror back who they are. Is this interesting? I think it's interesting. You put it up there, 20 people like it. You're like, I guess it's not. And you want to take it down. But do you still think it's interesting, even though only 20 other people do? It's like it's setting you up to make your decisions based on outside validation, which is death. That is the worst feedback loop to be in. And it's so many people already suffer from that, that their self-esteem is based on what other people think of them. And more and more and more, that muscle is being built because the only feedback loop is coming from the screens. And that is what I'm so worried about with my kids, you know, and that is the sad reality we live in. The goal for me is to spend less time online, less time not present. I want to maximize my impact in the time that I am online, that I am creating things so that the most people can engage with it and benefit from it, enjoy it, have an experience of it. I want to be able to know, okay, this is X amount of time out of my day, my month, my week, whatever it is. And from that time that I am dedicating to be on my screens, online, creating stuff, I want to know that people are actually able to participate in it. And I think a really good strategy for this online world, which you have to participate in if you're a filmmaker, author, whatever, is to be intentional. What we're talking about, this whole conversation, which I've loved so much, Amanda, is all about time and attention. Who deserves your time and attention? Your own thoughts deserve your time and attention. Your kids deserve your time and attention. Your partner deserves your time and attention. And look at your life and your day, almost like, you know, with nutrition. It's like, you want some vegetables, you want some fruit, you want some protein, you want... And it's like your day needs to have parts of all of that in. And where is the world on your plate? How much of that time and my little interventions I've done, you know, I don't look at my phone when I wake up. I don't look at it before I go to bed. I put it away out of sight, out of mind. Just like if I don't want to eat sugar, I hide the cookies and figure out how much a day feels really good. But everyone has their different allotment, even for your kids. When I set the TikTok limit for my daughter and I went to her and I said, how many hours a day do you think you should mm. be on TikTok? What do you think is healthy? And she sat there and she was like, two hours. And I was like, after your homework. She's like, yeah. Oh my and God, I, mine thinks six hours is healthy. 
well, that's too much. But what you're doing is you're empowering her to be a part of the decision making. You're not forcing your will on her. You're saying, we're going to do this together. I think we need a limit. What do you think? Yeah, engage them. And like on your tech free day, don't be like, we're doing this. Like we always try to do a walk, which they're always begrudgingly. And then they enjoy it when we do it like a long walk. But what do you want to do? Like my younger daughter's like, I want to go get their buy-in, get their buy-in. That's what we try to do as well. Not like, oh, you can come and do what I want to do. No. What do you want to do? It's work. Listen, it's work. And the likelihood of your kid telling you like, oh, they want to do the thing that you wanted to do on your day off. You know, it's not always going to line up, but it is work and it's worth it. I look at it like money in the bank. Do you know what I mean? The other thing is it's messy and you're going to try some things that'll work and some things that'll won't. But the one thing that has worked, it's the best thing I've ever done as a parent. I have no questions, no squishiness around it is this tech Shabbat because the boundary is so clear. And going back to the idea of Shabbat, they call it a temple in time. So we were talking about time and attention. So for one day, your home is sacred. The outside world can't get in. For Mm -hmm. one day, it's not about what you're watching, who's notifying, who's calling. We have a landline, by the way. We have a landline too. Exactly. And that's what I say to my kids. And I put a landline in their bedrooms because they were like, we need to be able to speak to our friends. I was like, great, call them up. We don't communicate (laughs) via phone. We do it on Snapchat. I was like, well, guess what? Learn how to use a phone. Yeah. That's right. So anyways, I have loved talking to you. Every time I speak to you, I am so grateful that I got the opportunity to connect with you. And thank you for being available. Thank you for being present. And thank you for the work that you're doing. It is so crucial. It's so valuable. And I'm excited to share your work with people who listen to the conversation. Wonderful. I think we went into a lot of places that that I haven't gone. And I appreciated that. (laughs) All right. Have a really good rest of your day. Okay, you too. Bye, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. And don't forget that if you love the conversation, then check out VS Voices, which highlights trailblazing women from around the world to celebrate the female experience. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter and follow me on social media at Amanda Decadene. 